Tegan, how bad is my audio? Well, it's been better, Chris. It's not, yeah. not, not, it's not perfect. Yeah. Okay. So I'm going to try to compensate for that with really excellent content. I'm away from the main office and just can't get good audio outside of the main office. Chris, please never call this podcast content. It sounds like it's <laughs> stuffing for a couch cushion. Okay. You're this right. is not content. Right. This is not content. This is a professionally done podcast. So I already failed at my attempt to compensate for the bad audio. Why don't we get right into then the meat of the discussion? You know, the only thing that's more messed up than my audio? The House of Representatives. That would be the House of Representatives <laughs> taken. So we're recording this while a vote is going on. It's simply a rule vote to try to get the ability to vote on the defense bill, get that down to the floor. Obviously, by the time, not only by the time this post, but maybe by the end of our conversation right now, we'll even know what the outcome is. In fact, if you're watching it, why don't you update it live during this, but more broad because this is just one example of what's been going on for the last couple of days and what I think we all fear is going to be going on for the next nine to 10 days until the end of the month and a potential government shutdown. What is going on on the floor of the House of Representatives? So this Pentagon spending bill, I mean, it's interesting. I mean, obviously this is happening as we are recording this. And so we will know exactly what's happened once this posts, but it illustrates the problem that Kevin McCarthy has. The vote was tied 213 to 213. All of a sudden, several Democrats who were not able to vote for whatever reason, including one supposedly who had COVID and had to put on a mask to come into the House chamber to vote, they voted. It is now, as we speak, it is 216 to 212 against bringing the bill to the floor. Republicans have lost a vote in this time. And so what does that mean? When you have 213 to 213, there's five or so Republicans who voted no. That's arm twisting time. You know, that's when you get the House majority whip. That's when you get Kevin McCarthy even out there trying to flip these votes and, you know, show loyalty to the party because they know what's going to happen. Once the bill actually comes to the floor, Democrats will feel that they can vote for the bill and the bill would pass overwhelmingly. Democrats are holding back right now simply to embarrass Republicans and McCarthy can't flip a single vote. Worse, he's even lost a vote from just a few minutes ago. And that really just shows the problem that McCarthy has with trying to keep the government open and trying to get any funding bill, any appropriations bill through this Congress, through this House. It is a total disaster for him, and it just seems to be getting worse. So first of all, I think the most surprising thing that you just said is that on a Republican-controlled House of Representatives floor, where they make all of the rules, one is obliged to wear a mask, even if one has COVID in a Republican-controlled What's going on here? I'm not saying anybody was obliged. Maybe it was just a uh, conscientious oh, Democrat <laughs> trying to prevent his colleagues from getting sick. So Okay. Okay. Now I understand. Secondly, more substantively, does this just make a government shutdown look like de facto, get ready, lock the doors? I mean, if you can't get a rule passed at this stage, you're never going to keep the government open. Or is this positioning? We're nine days out. There's a lot of negotiating between here and there. Maybe it's simply that these far-right Republicans are saying, you know what, if we don't make a highly, highly, highly symbolic stand now, right, there's not that much lost. There's face that's lost, but the government isn't shutting down. You know what, this is not our time to give in. It shows complete disarray on the Republican Party. I mean, there is no 
posturing here. It is McCarthy does not have control of his caucus. You know, keep in mind that when Nancy Pelosi was the speaker, she had the same size majority that Republicans have now. Nancy Pelosi would never bring a bill to the floor without knowing what the outcome is going to be in advance. McCarthy is doing it because he has no choice. He can't move. He's paralyzed, does not have the support of his caucus. He's losing the people on the right. He's losing the people in the center. This is literally just total chaos. Okay. So what happens? Let's say he's lost it. On the one hand, one channel is he stays in this position and keeps trying to bring things to the floor. Bills don't pass. Nothing gets done. And so the government shuts down, I guess. What's the other path? Like, okay, Matt Gates picks up his motion to vacate. He picks it up off the baby changing table and brings it to the floor. And they actually try to remove McCarthy. Is that happening right now at the end of September? And even if that process begins, what happens? I think Gates or someone else will challenge McCarthy. I don't think that McCarthy will see the next week without seeing a motion to vacate on the floor. The question then becomes whether Democrats save him or not. It is very possible that Democrats could save McCarthy because they know that an alternative might be worse. There are, I know, on the right fringe of the Republican Party, they're talking about other candidates right now who could possibly be speaker. But, you know, we all remember what happened in January. Republicans couldn't settle on a speaker. It took 15 rounds just for McCarthy to get the vote. Not much has changed. In fact, it's probably gotten worse since then. So you have a situation in the House where McCarthy would need to rely on Democrats to save his job and to vote against a motion to vacate the chair. But then you have a situation where McCarthy owes the Democrats. You know, you have a situation where is McCarthy really going to run a House where you have majority Democrats and then maybe a handful of a dozen or so more moderate Republicans running the House? I, I can't see that happening either. But here's what I do know. It's up to Kevin McCarthy what the path forward is right now. He could step aside as well. You know, his two Republican predecessors, John Boehner and Paul McCarthy, they just gave up. They just said, I'm, we're done. This is untenable. And it's only worse for McCarthy. He has even less control. It is worse for McCarthy. I am highly skeptical he walks away under any circumstances. He seems I, to I, have an unlimited ability to uh, face humiliation. Yes. Well put. It's an unending reservoir that can be filled. And so, you know, it's a bottomless pit. On the Democratic point, would they help out their pal, Kevin? There are two reasons that make me skeptical of that. One is, what would they actually extract? As you just said a moment ago, then McCarthy would owe the Democrats. Well, I can't imagine that anyone would cut such a deal without having it agreed, probably in writing, what that extraction is going to be. Is that, let's not do this impeachment nonsense with Biden? Is it, we're going to keep the government open and here's the spending bill that we're going to pass? What would they actually be able to extract or want to extract? And I'm skeptical about such a deal, unless it involves keeping the government open, which goes to my second point, which is it would be brutal. However, if the government shuts down because the Republicans can't govern, does that not go to the heart of the narrative of what Democrats will be running on or one of the key narratives that Democrats will be running on in the next cycle? that they are extremists, the Republicans, there's chaos, that there's turmoil, that they are not in the business of governing, they're in the business of dismantling. And I just feel like as brutal as it would be to have a result be a government shutdown, and that would be terrible. It supports their narrative. 
a tragedy for the Republicans politically. I think it will dog them through the next election. I think that there will be tremendous pain inflicted on the American people because the government will most likely be shut down at this point. It's hard to see how it would not be. It's next to impossible to see the House GOP pass anything at this point. If they can't pass the Pentagon spending bill, and they tried again earlier this week, they just failed again for a second time, that's now official, that's been pulled. There's literally nothing Republicans can pass at this point that the House Republicans can pass. So it's a major disaster. Now, one thing we didn't talk about was late last night, as we record this on Thursday, Donald Trump posted to Truth Social, essentially hold the line. That's actually what Matt Gates said in retweeting Donald Trump's post. But hold the line, do not pass a short-term spending bill. The interesting thing about Kevin McCarthy is he was granted a major gift during the debt ceiling negotiations when Donald Trump stayed silent, okay? Mm -hmm. Donald Trump did not get in the middle of that vote. Donald Trump is not taking that tact this time. He's essentially secured the Republican nomination before any voting has started. He's ahead of all the Republican candidates by 40 or 50 points right now. Donald Trump is now weighing in, telling House Republicans to essentially shut down the government. He's essentially said, He's backing a government shutdown. Now, anyone who's watched this over the last 20 years knows that politically, you never extract any concessions out of one of these shutdown deadlines. You never get any policy wins. And the party responsible for the shutdown, almost always Republicans, by the way, is the one that comes out politically worse at the end of this. So Donald Trump is literally hurting his own party. He's hurting House Republicans. He's putting a noose around Kevin McCarthy's neck. And they're all doing this for themselves. The Democrats are just standing back and they're kind of using the old adage, when your opponent has set themselves on fire, don't give them a hose. Did you get that from uh, Taking Goddard's Political Dictionary or you just recalled that one? I just recalled that, but I'll put that in the uh, political dictionary as well. I think think that deserves the dictionary. So I am going to avoid the temptation. My temptation is, of course, to ask, okay, so what happens next? And I think the answer to that is not only that we don't know and no one knows, but that the reason why no one knows, we're in a situation that, to my knowledge, and I'd be interested if any listeners have an example, when has this happened before? We're really in a situation where it's not just, oh, well, anything can happen. You can't predict the future. You know, no one knows. We don't have, to my knowledge, and if you have an example, please, we'd love to hear about it. But we don't have really clear precedent to base the next steps off of. Is that right? Or is there something that's coming to mind that I'm not thinking of? I mean, I wish my grasp of uh, history was better. Maybe there is a time right now. But I, you know, if you look in real time what the commentary is about modern history, the Armed Services Chairman, Mike McCall, he's talking about this Pentagon spending bill going down, Republicans essentially voting down their own bill. And he said that in over 20 years in Congress, he says he's never seen a rule brought down on a defense appropriations bill. He's never seen it happen. Now, the other interesting thing is when you look at the votes on this bill, you've got a handful of Republicans who decided to not vote for this bill. One of them, and there were six total, one of them was Marjorie Taylor Greene. Now, we all know that she's on the right fringes of the party, but we also know that she has ingratiated herself to Speaker McCarthy. Mm-hmm. And so the fact that she is willing to let Kevin McCarthy hang like this you know is a pretty extraordinary thing. You know Tell why. me. Tell me why. She has vice presidential aspirations. She just traded up. That could very well be, Chris. You know, Trump's post on Truth Social was about the continuing resolution and not this bill necessarily. 
maybe this is a pivot. You know, she's falling in line behind Donald Trump. And, you know, the next Speaker of the House, you ask, who could that be? It does not have to be a member of the House. Maybe maybe Donald Trump emerges. He runs for president Uh as Speaker of the House. Now, truthfully, I think that would be a terrible idea, not only for the country, but for him politically, because this is just a mess I don't think anybody, including Donald Trump, can contain. You have just spun into political junkie, brokered convention, nirvana heaven. That to quote another podcast that you and I both like to listen to, the normies among us don't go into this crazy type of direction. But yes, is that fun to speculate on? That would be fun. But uh, you've gone into brokered convention, political junkie, nirvana zone. Let me just clarify, Chris, that I think that the chances are extremely slim. But if it does happen, you heard it here first. You, You heard it here first. It's not the slimness of the possibility that's so telling. It's how excited you are even just talking and thinking about it like you're like you know someone talking about aliens gets super duper excited about that i want to change to another topic before we do is there any live update taken goddard not exactly from the floor of the house but watching a live stream of the floor of the house any update on that vote before we move to another topic We'll go with one more observation made by a Georgetown faculty member, Josh Hutter. He says that this many failed rules votes is unprecedented in the House of Representatives. No other way to put it. Well, keep an eye on the count. If the vote closes before we end the conversation, we'll update it. Obviously, people will already know what happened by the time this posts. But still, it's kind of fun to give real-time updates, even if that time is in the past. And Uh, and the real-time update is right here. Republicans have lost the vote. They lost it 216 to 212. So it was 213 to 213, and they ended up losing it by four votes. So not even close. Kevin McCarthy is having a bad day. And I will predict this. He's about to have a really bad week and perhaps a bad month. Yes, he might have a really bad month. Let's go to the other side of the Congress. On the Senate side, Tommy Tuberville had a bad day. I know you know Tommy Tuberville is a former football coach. He was not a terrible football coach, fairly successful. He knows what an end run is. He's run that play a million times. He has had to defend an end run. And let me tell you, the fullback from New York, Chuck Schumer, just did an end run and demolished Tuberville's line. I don't know if it's enough to say that Schumer scored a touchdown on the play, but he picked up a lot of yards and Schumer got into the red zone. Okay, what am I talking about? The Washington Post reports that the Senate confirmed on Wednesday Air Force General Charles Q. Brown Jr. as the next chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, with Democrats briefly relenting in their ongoing feud with Senator Tommy Tuberville to push through President Biden's nominee for the military's top job. The 83 to 11 vote avoids what had been the embarrassing prospect of a temporary administrator filling the Pentagon's most prestigious post. Yet, it leaves about 300 other senior officers ensnared in Tuberville's months-long hold on military promotions with no clear path to advancement, as the underlying political standoff over the Defense Department's abortion policy exhibits no signs of abating. Brown, who becomes only the second African-American after General Colin Powell to ascend to the chairman's post, was confirmed after Senate Majority Leader Schumer chose to peel away the nomination for an individual vote. 
senior officer promotions are typically approved by the Senate through unanimous consent to avoid lengthy floor debates and the politicization of votes around military commanders. The 11 senators voting against Brown were all Republicans. Mike Brown of Indiana, Ted Cruz, Josh Hawley, Mike Lee, Roger Marshall of Kansas, Eric Schmidt of Missouri, J.D. Vance, Ron Johnson, Cynthia Loomis of Wyoming, Marco Rubio, and of course, Tuberville. So did I overstate it? The Washington Post said the Democrats briefly relented. So did I overstate it? Was it not an end run? I didn't say that he scored a touchdown, but did he gain a lot of yardage? Did he get any points on the board? I think Schumer is a clear winner here on this, although it does open up potential problems for him moving forward. And we'll get to that in a little bit. But essentially what happened was that Tuberville was about to use a procedural step. He was going to call a cloture vote in order to get this Joint Chiefs nominee confirmed. And why was he doing that? Because the political heat on him is growing more intense. You know, there are plenty of Republicans and plenty of military families who are very upset about these holds that he's put, that these promotions aren't getting done, that he's hurting the military. So all of a sudden he thought that he could give a little and call a cloture vote to be able to get this one nominee out. Chuck Schumer rightfully called it an act of desperation in using this step. And he said, you know what? We're going to just go around him. So they decided to take action and they pushed through three nominees that had been held up. The issue is there's hundreds more that are stalled right now. And by allowing a vote to be held on one nominee, these are votes that typically are made with unanimous consent. You know, these are not voice votes, recorded votes where every senator goes on the record. They're typically done by unanimous consent, particularly all of these hundreds of promotions that are being held up. So the fact that Schumer actually allowed this to happen and allowed some individual nominees to go through this process strengthens the opposition in the Senate because now you can hold an individual nominee potentially hostage in this way, and it becomes potentially problematic because it goes against the tradition of the Senate. But to be fair to Chuck Schumer, everything Tuberville was doing was against the traditions of the Senate as well. And so I think Schumer's probably just happy to take the points that he got he'll worry about the next plays, you know, in the future. But yeah, it was a total end run around Tuberville. Probably a little fancier. You could probably get into some of your, uh, you know, football plays, Chris, that you'd like to call. And I don't know what specifically you'd want to call it, but it was definitely, let's just say Chuck Schumer was doing a dance in the end zone, close of business yesterday. Well, I don't have any ability to call good offensive plays right now because my Chicago Bears oh. are just I'm miserable. sorry, Chris. Um, I'm sorry, but, but as, as, a, as a Boston Red Sox fan finishing up this baseball season, let me tell you, I feel your pain. <laughs> yeah, I'll take any kind of empathy. What you were just saying about Schumer taking a path that carries potential future risk and breaks with tradition. But having to do that because Tuberville was acting in such a way that nothing was getting done and he was acting outside of tradition, that language that you used made me think of the Democrats and Harry Reid's decision to change the voting process 2010 when he changed that, which very, very similar language. And we know where things went from there. Is that a potential risk? Is this a genies out of the bottle type of change? Or is it not quite as extreme as what occurred and, and a lot of people feel had to occur when Republicans were refusing to pass any Obama legislation? And so Reid changed various voting requirements. 
Yeah, no, I think it's totally a genie out of the bottle. But I will say this, everything we've seen this week, everything we've seen this year in Congress is the genie out of the bottle. I mean, we just talked about the historical precedents about what's happening in the House. They are pushing these institutions in ways that they have never been pushed before. It is the Republican Party 100% their fault at this point in both cases. The idea that the Republicans are standing behind these efforts is extraordinary. That's not to say that Democrats don't push the boundaries every once in a while, because they do. It's just that in this situation, this is the Republicans who are really pushing our democracy, are pushing our institutions in ways that they haven't been. And, you know, at the end of the day, it's going to cause an inability to govern, an inability to solve problems. And in my view, I think it's going to really paint a very bad picture of the Republican Party as we head into next year's elections. I don't even think that's hyperbole. I think that this is a disaster for Republicans. You hear Donald Trump talking about abortion and the fact that Republicans can't talk, quote, properly about abortion right now because he knows that it's political kryptonite for Republicans right now. I think all of this, this inability to govern is political kryptonite for Republicans. I think the country is fed up with their inability to actually solve problems. And when you look at Joe Biden, for whatever faults he may have, he did push through an agenda, which is more comprehensive than any president in more than 50 years. He's at least somebody who's got a record of attempting to solve problems in this country. I think what Republicans are doing, I think they've lost touch with voters. That's really what's causing some of these governing problems. It certainly feels that way. That's what's going on, what you just reported on uh, with that vote from the House. I think we both feel like more of that's going to occur. And Kevin McCarthy is having a really bad week. Tommy Tuberville is keeping the Defense Department from running properly. There's not a lot of evidence that the goal is to have government work or to advance governing. It's chaos. You can say that about American voters. They almost never desire chaos. That's what I have to say. I think the only good thing that's come out of this is, however bad my audio might have been, I will hear it on the playback, not as bad as what's going on in the floor of the House of Representatives. Chris, before we sign off here, I'm, I'm just going to say I'm a little disappointed that you didn't bring up the number one issue in America right now. Because if I turn on Fox News right now, it is all they talk about. It is the fact that Senator John Fetterman wears hoodies on the Senate floor now, that they've yeah. changed the dress code of the Senate floor. You know, uh, I thought that was the most important issue here in the country. I would think that it is what hasn't been revealed yet is very likely the Biden crime family is behind that change. <laughs> I will confess, particularly as I sit here in shorts and a t-shirt, I actually think the Senate should have a dress code. I actually think that if you're elected- I think you should have a dress code. You know, one of something, the the poobahs at Political Wire think I dress just fine. Okay, well, I'm going to send a strongly worded note to the so-called poobahs. There's a reason this is a podcast and not a videocast, Chris. We'll keep it that way. Talk to you next week, Tegan. See you, Chris. 